Hello and welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source for the long haul. Who are we? Where did we come from? Where are we going? Wait a minute. Wait, there's a security issue somewhere. Wait, what vulnerable? What level is it? Uh, we're going to get through all of those things today. I'm very excited to talk to my guest today. He has a familiar name because we've had him on the podcast before. That's right. We have Daniel Stenberg on from Curl. Daniel, how are you doing? Hello, hello. Good to be here again. Yeah, it wasn't even that long time ago I was here. So yeah. It really wasn't, but a cool thing came up in the ecosystem and we figured that you're probably the best person to talk about it and address it. And so in something that's relatively new for Sustain, we don't always do this. We're talking about current events and not just how you got here and what you think. So we're talking about CVEs today. CVEs are common vulnerabilities and exposures. They were launched in September 1999, which was a while ago. And they don't have the best reputation, but they're a start. I'm getting some of this from a, a blog post by Jake Edge, who had a really good summary of what we're talking about today. But generally, CVEs are one of these ways of saying, hey, there's a vulnerability in your code. Can you fix it? And oh, we know there's a vulnerability. We're fixing it. So on August 25th, the curl team, which is led by Daniel Sedberg, received an email. The email said, I wanted to let you know that there's a recent curl CVE published, and it doesn't look like it was acknowledged by the curl authors and does not mention in the curl website. CVE 2020-19909. Daniel, can you tell me a bit about how this happened? Did this email go directly to you? What was the vulnerability that they're talking about? So let's start with that. The that email was sent to the curl library mailing lists by one of the contributors then who I guess recognized that we hadn't announced this from the curl project. So it, usually we always take care of when we get a security problem reported, we make sure that we document everything. We request a CVE or a CVE ID, I guess is the proper name for it. And then we work with the reporter and we work on the fix and we publish everything and we make sure that everyone is aware of the CVE. But in this case, we didn't do that. And it was said to be about curl, right? So that's why we were told about it. It was something wrong. And first, it was recently announced in August and it had 2020 in the ID, which 2020 is then the year of the flow, I guess, which sort of told us that this is something old announced now so it's that's only that is sort of a weird signal or i mean it's not impossible but sort of it, yep. it sort of triggers something hey, wait a minute what's this and it turns out that someone then just registered well asked for a cv id for a flaw they someone thought that we had back in 2020 it's actually a bug that we fixed someone filed a cv for it and then when they have filed for a CVE or requested that, it's basically just as a bug tracker ID, right? Anyone can submit a request for a CVE. And you don't even have to have much data or information about it. You can basically, well, curl, some version number, suspected integer overflow. And you get a CVE ID for that. And well, sure enough, that's what's happened, right? It was done anonymously, or at least I don't know who did it. And it, it just showed up and then made it public. So I, I have a couple of questions. Okay, so this was an older bug, which had already been fixed, but someone filed a CVE. Now, when you file a CVE, who are you filing with? Is there a you, grand registrar? You, 
Yeah, it's actually a kind of a complicated system, but MITRE.org are the head organization of this. They're funded by the American government, basically. So MITRE.org are the keepers of the database of every CVE ever requested, right? So that's a huge number of entries and they have metadata for every such number, right? And they also have sub organizations then that so you can have a certificate it's a cve numbering authority as a cna so you can actually request it from other authorities you don't but there's also mitre who is the head organization of that so basically when you find a problem in a particular product you can request a cve for that particular product and depending on which product you might have to talk to a particular cna to get that number but anyway for curl we don't have a, a dedicated cna so you could request it from mitre so you get a number and you can say, oh, sure, now the bug is public or the CVE is public. And the reason you can do it for an old bug is, right, because that version might still be used out there, right? So there might be people still using that old version. So it sort of, it can be relevant to still get a CVE for that old version because who knows how many people are actually still using that. So that concept makes sense. But someone filing this CVE and then it appears in the database and... Maybe it, it appearing in the database isn't that bad either. Maybe it's an entry in a database somewhere. Why do we care about that? But it becomes a issue for us because then suddenly consumers of that database imports that information into their databases. And one of the biggest consumers of that database is NVD, right? National Vulnerability Database, which is also fun because national here means, of course, yeah. Again, it's a U.S. Everywhere. Your U.S., yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it is for everyone, right? So yeah. that NVD, then they host that data then, and they add a severity score for everything they import into their database. So they Okay, find, so that's really interesting. So yeah. a severity score. So anyone can report a vulnerability, basically is what you just said. You could even be an anonymous vulnerability, which is, seems kind of odd to me, but Let's assume that there's good people out there doing the good work of sleuthing around for real bugs. How do they assign this score? And let's talk in particular about this 2021 that was filed. Was it a really bad bug? It was a really silly bug. It was one of those silly, stupid ones, but it was far away from a bad bug. Got it. So okay. it had a low score. So let's start with the actual bug, because I think it's hilarious. So Curl has a retry option. So if you try to download a file and you get uh, like over HTTP and you get a trans, uh, what we call a transient error back. Basically, say five or something, it says that maybe the server is currently stupid, try again later. Yeah. Because that can happen, right? So then curl has a retry option. So you can tell retry a few times and then we would retry again after a while. So then we have this retry delay that says, don't retry immediately, retry after this many seconds instead of the regular waiting setup. Okay, and if you then use that option to say retry after this many seconds and you use a very large number, internally we would convert that to milliseconds by multiplying by a thousand. Sure. Yeah. That's what you do. But in this case, I didn't check the number properly. So if you put in a big enough number and you multiply it by a thousand, it would not shit in the variable. It would overflow the 64-bit variable. Basically, since it's written in C, it's actually an undefined behavior. But in most cases, it'll wrap and end up a very small number. So basically, you would then, if you use curl from the command line and enter a huge number, you know, 9994567778, and then it would actually not wait for 500 million years. It would wait for 
32 seconds instead. So okay, that goal. seems like a kind of thing that could potentially <laughs> mean a server somewhere might fall down, but it's but, a yeah, really, well, it's like not a huge bug. It's exactly. It's, it's, it's very silly bug, yes, but it's, yeah. I, I thought about that actually at the time we got it because it was actually reported as a security problem back in 2019. And we really struggled with finding any kind of security angle to this. So we deemed it, no, there's no security problem. Treat it as a regular bug, fix it, make sure that we don't wrap, we don't end up in that situation. We cap it, you can just do it 500 million years and not more or whatever it is. But anyway, so the description for the CVE, when someone created it, said integer overflow in this version without describing anything more than that. Basically, there's an integer overflow. And sure, it was an integer overflow. So when NVD then consumes that and they get that, oh, there's a new CVE, we need to set a score for this. How do they do that? There's an integer overflow in curl. Well, curl talks in networks, right? And an integer overflow, it could be really bad. And <laughs> so you crank up all the levers to the maximum and then you get 9.8 out of 10 as a score. And I'm joking a little bit, but it's actually that way they sort of go. They insist that they use all available public information to set the score, but they don't look for any other than the information they already got, which was basically nothing. So they really make up sort of, yeah, integral overflow in curl. How bad can that be? The worst possible case. Probably really bad. So 9.8 seems a bit ridiculous. An integer overflow in this particular thing, only if it's retrying, isn't really going to destroy the world. This isn't giving away social security numbers. It's not causing zero-day exploits and other dependencies downstream. It's just saying, oh, do it at another time and maybe that. So... What I'm curious about is, who are the people who decided, oh, curl, network, okay, bad. Who made those? Are they policy people? Are they coders? Do you have any idea who works at NVD who would set that score? I have no idea. I've done this dance many times now that I find that NVD sets a ridiculously high score for our problems. And I email them and say, hey, well, how come you did this? It's kind of stupid because it's, I think they make a disservice to the entire ecosystem by doing this because it's ridiculous. It doesn't help anyone to do this. So I sort of tried to get them to stop doing that. I mean, this is open source too. You can just, there, there's even information. You can go and look at the code yourself if you want to. And you can ask us, what do you think about it? Explain the problem to us. And we could help them actually end up with something, but they don't do that. I assume because they get a billion of these every day and they have to sort of 0.3 seconds for each to make it up. I don't know, but it makes it a really horrible system. They basically just set that score some team, I don't know. Even if you email them, they never respond with the name or anything. They're always just the NVD team. And you get a response from them. It's the NVD team that says, okay, we can set another score. So if I insist and email them like I did this time, I can actually whine on them and they will go back and try and find a better number. And in this case, they eventually did. Do you think that the majority of their gradings are kind of off then if they don't seem to be that technically like able to understand what vulnerabilities should get oh, score. absolutely i see no way how they can be relevant i mean just out of randomness of course they might hit roughly well at points uh, at some points in time but they don't make a good enough effort to understand the problem to be able to actually set a good score so they insist that they have this system that whether they, they assume the worst possible and that's how they set the score but assuming the worst possible in every case it doesn't make it a good score it just makes it a silly score 
So I want to expand out a bit. Are there any other major vulnerability databases that are relevant today to an open source project, say, working in networking like Curl? Like what other databases are important besides NVD? I think the GitHub one is sort of up and coming. The one that, from what I hear, is being used a lot. But I also see them getting severity scores from NVD when they populate their database. So I think there's also this cross-pollination sort of. So it's not necessarily they might get the scores anyway from NVD, even if they can then set their own. I'm not sure exactly how they cooperate or not. That's okay. So this is one of the major databases is what I was trying to establish for securities right now in the world, which is really interesting because we're seeing an increase in the amount of discussion around cybersecurity is important. Shoring up databases is important. Vulnerabilities are bad. We need to fund the entire ecosystem to make sure that all vulnerabilities are doing okay. But if this crucial part of the ecosystem, which is how you grade vulnerabilities and how those are reported easily, depending on the technical knowledge of the people who would be able to appraise a possible vulnerability. If that's flawed, then we have to kind of go back to the drawing board. Am I missing something in that assessment? No, I think that is entirely correct. I mean, this isn't anything new, right? This has been working like this pretty much since forever. But I think Usually back in the day, we really didn't care about NVD creates a silly score. I mean, why do we care about that? It doesn't really matter to us. We insist that it's this whatever score, they say another score. Okay, traditionally, we haven't bothered about that because it didn't really affect us. But I think over time, exactly as you say, CVEs and securities in general has sort of been, we have more emphasis on that and we think about it more and we rely on CVEs much, much more now than we did only five years ago. But the CVEs haven't improved, but we build entire ecosystems on top of these CVEs much more now, and we lean on them much more. So we hope that they're good, but they're not. And in my case, I see a lot of problems now just because these CVEs are now used by security scanners everywhere, and they look for these CVEs in your systems, and then they find these curl so-called security vulnerabilities with really high scores because that's what they say are there and then people get all upset and scared and what do we do you have we have a 9.8 critical security vulnerability in our product because we use curl it's not uh, very good so we wanted to get more points of view on this issue so we reached out to dan lorenz co-creator of six door co-founder and ceo at chain guard we've had him on the podcast before their mission is to make software supply chain secure by default so dan who are you Hey, so my name is Dan Lawrence. I'm a co-founder and CEO of a company called ChainGuard that works in open source and software supply chain security. This week, Daniel Stenberg, the maintainer and founder of the commonly used curl project, started a bit of an uproar again when he publicly complained about a very bad CVE entry in the National Vulnerability Database. This is the first time Daniel has run into trouble with the NVD, and I doubt this will be the last time. He's in a pretty unique position as an open source maintainer of a very widely used piece of software and that he has to deal with it way more often than most people do. I've been following this space and working in it for probably close to a decade now. And so I've seen a lot of things go well and a lot of things go poorly in the National Vulnerability Database. What is your experience with the NVD? If you're not aware, the NVD is the global database used to track all uh, public software vulnerabilities. This covers open source tools and libraries, but it also covers proprietary software as well. 
It's been around for decades, and it hasn't really changed a ton in that time, which I think is why we're running into a lot more friction with it today. There are problems with the NVD. It also works pretty well in some cases. A couple of the really bad issues with it were surfaced in Daniel's report this week, which caused some of the problems that he was complaining about. One is the CVSS scoring mechanism. That's the way the vulnerabilities are scored in the NVD. The main scoring system out there today is called CVSS3. There have been some drafts for CVSS4, but they're not quite public yet inside of the NVD itself. So most of the scores that you see are related to CVSS3. There are a couple different ways these scores get entered. But in this case, the case of the vulnerability that Daniel was complaining about, the score is assigned by the NVD team itself after reviewing the report. Do you believe that a majority of CVEs are misguided? And are CVEs ridiculously broken? There are a lot of problems with the way the vulnerabilities get reported in the NVD. First of all, it's a global write system. That's the easiest way to think about it. Anyone can file a CVE against any piece of software. It means the quality varies dramatically. There are also some weird incentives where people like to brag about getting CVEs reported to themselves. And the higher the score, the more impressive it looks when you get one of these on your resume. So that leads to a lot of inflation in the scoring system itself. The CVE that Daniel was complaining about had a CVSS score of 9.8, which is about as high as it gets. 10 is technically possible, but stuff like log for shell wasn't even a 9.8 in the scoring system. So there's almost zero chance that this was actually correct. And looking at the CV itself, Daniel didn't even think this was a vulnerability at all. So this was from a couple of years ago. Somebody was probably trying to get it onto their resume, reported it with the tendency to overinflate the impact, and it just got blindly accepted. I think one of the biggest things to improve the NVD in these cases would be to apply a more stringent filter to things with a high score and in things that have a high reach. Curl is installed on pretty much every device in the world and even running in stuff like the space station and running in the Mars rover. So it's ubiquitous software, and reporting a noisy CV against it has a huge impact and a huge waste of time for everyone in the industry. I realize that they can't apply this level of scrutiny to everything, but there actually aren't that many CVs issued a year, and there aren't that many at that high severity, and there aren't that many in ubiquitous libraries. So by spending a little bit more time, I think they could dramatically improve the results and the data in the NVD for things that actually matter to people today. Thank you so much, Dan. Really appreciate it. So, Daniel... It's not perfect. We just reached out to NIST's NVD, and here's what they had to say. They said, we want to make clear that the publication of the CVE is not something we have control over, that for transparency purposes, our analysis efforts rely on publicly available information, which does change over time, and that we rely on public insight to ensure that the most recent information is included for up-to-date assessments. Now, I, I find this quote really interesting because... For instance, Mark Deslages, I think I pronounced that correctly, at Ubuntu quoted that this CVE is not a security issue and the curl author intends on disputing the CVE, so marking is not affected. That's great. What do you know that NVD doesn't know and what do you think about their response? Well, they, of course, say that they don't affect the existence of the CVEs because, as I said, that MITRE handles the CVE. So if the CVE exists and well, I tried to reject it with MITRE as well. So in this case, I contacted MITRE and said, please reject this. It's not a security problem. But they refused to do that because they too, I don't know exactly how they determine this, but they think it's a security problem. They too have this, apparently know more about this than I do. So it exists and therefore NVDs think they set a severe score because it exists and they won't remove it because MITRE hasn't removed it. So then we just end up in this, sure, what's the severity score? And... I find it interesting. So when I 
argued with NVD about this particular one. I said, it's not a security problem at all. So it shouldn't be there. But since you won't remove it, you should just put it as low as possible because that would be the second best. And basically, I got them to do that. And they did that by reading pretty much, they quoted, I think, three different links to Reddit commenters who commented on the issue or as a discussion and you follow up to my blog post, which really? I think is, yeah, it's completely, I mean, come on, I told you about this. I wrote a long blog post about it and you're quoting Reddit commenters for commenting on the things that I wrote. I was complete. I mean, in the end, I was happy about it because they downgraded it then from 9.8 to 3.3. So I guess that was good because now it doesn't really matter. Now it's just a 3.3. Well, it's already been patched, right? This is just an older versions of curl. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> just check. I have another question and this is silly. When the CVE was reported on the mailing list and when you talk to NVD about the CVE, at any point in any of the discussions, did anyone say, we would like to fund your work fixing this vulnerability in this very important project, which has now been marked as unsafe because it has a CVE? Has anyone offered out to fund that work? No. Okay. <laughs> Not a single one. But I also think that most of everyone who's actually sort of involved in curl, we can all see that this isn't really a security problem. This is a meta problem because of this organization. It's not an actual problem in curl. And that's also why I like to sort of blog about it and make a fuss about it because I want everyone who is actually cares about it to know that it's actually not a security problem. And then even if someone else actually still lists it as a security problem or talk about it as a security problem, I don't have to care about that too much as long as everyone who actually needs to know, know. So what do you think we should do instead? Yeah, that's a really good question, because I think as we have now as an ecosystem, we built so much on this concept of CVEs and using these CVEs and the infrastructure here. So it's, it's not an easy thing to fix. It's not an easy thing to replace. So I, I don't have any good answers here what to do. A lot of people tell me that uh, it'll be better with CVSS version 4, which is a new way to get the score done. But I think that seems very naive to think that it's about how to calculate the scores. Because if you don't care about the input, the output will be equally wrong and just maybe slightly differently wrong. And for my case, unfortunately, the short-term answer for someone like me is to register my own CNA, which is sort of a numbering authority within the CVE system. So that means that I can be responsible for my own CVE numbers for my products, which means that I can prevent anonymous users to file CVEs on my products in the future. But I think I will do this and I, I'm sort of in the process of doing it, but I think it's a really lame fix because it certainly doesn't scale. Everyone cannot do this to just prevent this silliness. So it's not a fix for the entire universe. It's just a personal thing that I can do to fix my issues. So if anyone is able to log CVEs, I'm curious, what's stopping a CVE DDoS on like open source maintainers? Could I just open a ton of CVEs on a project and then they would have to deal with them all and then take all their time and then not work on the feature that they want? Pretty much. You can do that today. Or I'm not going to. I'm not a bad actor. Yeah, yeah. You, know, like, you as in the, the bad ones out there. But the only sort of the restriction here is that system with the CNAs, right? So if you're a CNA, there are three hundreds of them. So there are many, but they can sort of say that we are responsible for these products. So they can sort of stop you from doing that. So that's why you don't see 
rogue CVEs for known products because they are already taken care of by CNAs that take care of those products. So they will say, no, that's not a CVE. So therefore, you can only do this for the smaller projects that don't have CNAs that cover them, basically. So for Curl, you can do it. For Microsoft Word, you cannot. Interesting. But given that the majority of open source software is run by like one or two people, if that, and our smaller projects, that means we have a, a massive issue in how we think about our infrastructure and how we think about reporting. Yes. All right. Well, that's fun. Any closing thoughts? I see this a lot. And I've actually already since that CVE, I've reported another legitimate CVE just days ago, right? And even legitimate CVEs get a similar problem in that nowadays everyone sucks in the CVE databases and they scan for these CVEs. So it is a growing problem with people seeing things that they think is security problems everywhere. And a lot of security scanners now scan for them. And so, yeah, it's both illegitimate and valid ones are sort of showing up everywhere, but for both good and bad. So it's like, I think it's an area that needs some kind of cleaning up. I'm not sure exactly what, and it's certainly an area that is going to keep causing us headaches going forward until we do something. And again, I don't even know what the fix is here. I don't know either. It's also really interesting to me that someone like you who is strapped for time, part of a very important project that's being used all across the ecosystem, can be called upon to do work or like have to respond to work that's coming from, say, the US. I mean, the EU could also have this sort of thing. It just always strikes me as really interesting to see how a national database can be used globally. And that's just part of the problem we have today with today's infrastructure being shared. And policymakers going forward are consistently like talking about securities being the major thing. How do we shore up our digital infrastructure? How do we stop everything going down? But it's kind of bigger than that because it's not about countries anymore. It's about the entire world. Oh, absolutely. That's also why I think it doesn't really matter if it's called national or if it's American or EU, because every security problem is going to, of course, affect everyone everywhere. So it doesn't really matter geography is not the question. The idea behind having a unique ID for a security problem like a CVE idea is a good idea, but it needs some reinforcements to actually be a good system all throughout this. Listeners, if you have ideas for how to fix that, do let us know. Uh, You can email me actually podcast at the same OSS.org and I'll be happy to take those and probably file them away because I'm not a security researcher, but still interested in your thoughts. Daniel, it's been great to have you on. Thank you so much for coming and talking about this weird issue that we haven't talked about before on the platform of how vulnerabilities get reported and how they show up and what you have to do with them. I really appreciated the time. This episode was written and produced by Justin Dorfman. It was also produced by me, Richard Litauer, and Tina Arboleda. It's edited and shown us by Peachtree Sounds. We want to thank Dan Lorenz for his commentary. Also, thank you to NISD for taking the time to respond to questions addressed in this episode. We do appreciate that. If you want to hear more episodes like this that are more focused on a particular issue, do let us know. Podcasts at SaintOSS.org again. And also, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you do things. It helps people discover the show. Share this podcast wherever you can. And... If you use Curl, throw Dan a bone. There are ways to donate on the website. You can also donate to this podcast. Dan, finally, thank you so much once again. Take care, good luck, and don't have any more integer overflows, I guess. (laughs) Thank you.